Well, again, welcome everyone. Thank you all for being here. Uh, those of you who, it's good to see you again, those of you who made it to the All Parish Christmas Party. Uh, we had a ton of fun. We put, this year, we put a tent out in the parking lot, uh, which was really cool. It was so cool. I feel like we should have done that every year, but, um, you know, we're heading in the right direction, so that's good. I love this time of year. I, I love Advent. I love Christmas time. Uh, whatever human decided to take the, like, darkest time of the year and, like, make it super fun and put lights everywhere is a genius, and I love them, and I feel very indebted to them. Uh, this year is also really fun because my daughter, Daisy, it's the first year that she's starting to really understand Christmas. Um, like, she is very, very excited about presents. Uh, she lets us know what uh, she told Santa she wants for Christmas this year, uh, which is a moon pillow. Um, she has a sun and a, a cloud and a star, and so she wants a moon. It seems reasonable. Um, I hide this little rabbit all around the house every day of December, this rabbit named Milton, and she loves every morning waking up and going to find him. Uh, it's just really, really fun. She is so into it being Christmas time that the other day, uh, my wife, Michaela, told her uh, that it was time for quiet time. Quiet time's what we change nap time to, uh, we just changed the name, and suddenly there was a lot less fight about it. Uh, so uh, she said, uh, Daisy, it's, it's, it's time for quiet time. And Daisy looked at her and said, it's not quiet time, Mama. It's Christmas time. <laughs> she still hasn't learned it can be both at the same time. Um, so I love this time of year, but it is also a very busy time of year. I'm sure that you all can relate. There's just a lot going on. It's usually all fun and good things, but it's a lot. Uh, I felt swamped. Uh, this year is... A, 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 especially challenging uh, during this month because we're, of everything that we're doing to try to uh, separate from the sacred grace, there's just a lot of paperwork, it turns out, to start a nonprofit. Um, so I uh, have not had a ton of time to write a talk <laughs> this week. Um, I feel like really down to the wire. And when that happens, I usually, well, pretty much all the time, I go back and see what I've written before on any given topic. And I came across... It wasn't that hard to find. I came across the talk I gave last year on peace, and I read through it, and I said, you know what? I don't think I have anything to add to this. This is, I, most of the time when I read a talk, I'm like, man, I left a lot on the ground there. I, I really could have done better. This time I was like, that's a good talk. So uh, the talk that I'm giving tonight is largely adapted from that. So if some of it sounds familiar, that's why. If you were to play them right next to each other, you might be like, yeah, that's, that's the same talk. I don't recommend doing that, but if you happen to do it, um, that's just so you know. I, I like to give a preface when I rip myself off, uh, which happens a lot. Um, okay, so tonight we're going to start right in the middle of the birth narrative from Luke 2, which goes a little something like this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. Peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. That was a really profound declaration that the angels proclaim to the shepherds. But why? 
Why would peace have been such a big deal? Why is peace such a big deal? And what does Jesus' birth have to do with it? At the time that this is happening, at the time of Jesus' birth, Israel has been under a brutal Roman rule for about 60 years. Uh, They survived at least two major uprisings at this point in which the Romans and the Roman-installed leader of Israel uh, slaughter tens of thousands of Jewish people, sometimes including women and children, sometimes burning entire cities to the ground, which is ironic because this is all during the period called, uh, that Rome called the Pax Romana or the Peace of Rome. But the peace that Rome, Roman rule brought was peace through domination and subjugation and oppression in order to control. It was peace because everyone else was killed It was violence rebranded as peace. This is the world that Jesus is born into, a world of coercion and domination and violence masquerading as peace. And the Jewish culture that Jesus was born into was heavily divided uh, about how to handle their broken world. The people largely found themselves uh, in one of several major factions, each with its own responses to God and strategies for coping with the sufferings and and hardships that they were being subjected to. And one of those groups is a group called the Zealots. I think it's impossible to talk about Jesus' birth and to talk about peace without talking about this group of uh, Jewish people at this time. To fully understand the Zealots, we need to go back to something that happened around 170 years before Jesus was born. And actually, uh, to fully understand, we, know we need to go back a little bit further. So, hang with me if you don't like history. Hang with me through this little history lesson. I love history. I think it's fascinating. So I'm going to have a great time, and I hope you do too. We're going to go all the way back to this guy named Alexander the Great. You might have heard of him. Uh, He was the first Greek emperor. And after he, well, and I guess in the last to some degree, because after he died, uh, the Greek empire fractured into a few different smaller empires led by his generals who all fought each other for control of the whole empire. The two main empires that arise out of the civil war that's going on is called the the Ptolemaic and the Seleucid empires. And Israel sits geographically right in between both of them, right at the border of these two empires. So they're basically ground zero for all the battles that, that happen between the two. So Israel is constantly flipping back and forth, whether it's part of the Ptolemaic or Seleucid empire, just depending on who's won the latest battle. Uh, so... That's kind of the setting. Fast forward to 167 BC. Israel is under the rule of the Seleucid Empire, who is uh, currently led by this guy named Antiochus IV. And he is a terrible human being. He is pretty nasty and kind of insane. And he sends troops into Jerusalem, into the temple, to force the priests to make sacrifices to Greek gods. One of the priests there refuses to do this, And he kills the soldier that's overseeing the ceremony and then kills all the other priests that were going to go forward with sacrificing two false gods. Long story short, this priest flees into the wilderness uh, to the countryside along with his five sons and together they establish this rebellion that continually engages in guerrilla warfare with the Seleucid Empire and any collaborating Jewish people. Their rebellion grows and grows until they are actually able to successfully completely drive out the Seleucid Empire, and Israel once again becomes a sovereign nation. At least they get to be a sovereign nation for about 80 years until Rome shows up. So that rebellion that I'm talking about is called the Maccabean Revolt, because one of the priest's sons who kind of starts 
emerges as the leader of the whole thing. His nickname was Maccabeus, which means the hammer, which is a great nickname if you're going to lead a revolt. Uh, Hanukkah, which just ended yesterday, is actually a celebration of this revolution in part. Um, Once the Maccabees are able to recapture the temple in Israel, uh, it's been completely defiled by the Seleucids, so they have to re-consecrate it. They have to rededicate it. Uh, There's a bit more to this, but Hanukkah, which means dedication, is the celebration of this eight-night-long rededication of the temple. So that's the Maccabees. Why is that important? Uh, They're a violent rebellion and revolution that successfully freed Israel from an imperial army. Now, fast forward about 160, 170 years later to 6 AD, and now we're talking about the Zealots. The Zealots are founded with the Maccabees in mind, as the Maccabees are their inspiration. They're, They're kind of like slogan or battle cries, remember the Maccabees. They want to do to Rome what the Maccabees did to the Seleucids, violently overthrow them. Zealots were known for their unflinchingly violent hatred towards Rome, and any and all Jewish people who collaborated with uh, Rome or were were in any way sympathetic to the Roman Empire. At the height of their influence, this is crazy, they would walk around public gatherings with like these little daggers, and they would just assassinate people. Just anyone that they thought was sympathetic to Rome, they would just kill on the spot. Zealots were extremely religious and extremely motivated by purity, specifically the purity of Israel. They believed that it was up to them to establish uh, the reign of God, and they fought, fought, and fought to do so violently, opposing everyone that they deemed to be an enemy. Jesus interacted with zealots. Uh, In fact, uh, as we've talked about before, at least one of his disciples, Simon, not Simon Peter, just Simon Simon, uh, was a member of this violent faction of the zealots. Throughout Jesus' life and beyond, the zealots were were an increasingly powerful force in Israel. Eventually, they get the whole country to agree with them, and and they lead the entire country to rebel against Rome in 66 AD, which ended in the complete conquest of Israel by Rome, the destruction of the temple, and the mass suicide of all the remaining zealots in 73 AD. It did not go well. The zealots looked at the tactics of Rome, and they thought, it works for Rome, it worked for the Maccabees, it should work for us too. And so rather than, than waiting, continuing to wait on God, who seemed to just be taking his sweet time and, and making good on his brom- promise to bring peace, the zealots chose to solve violence with more violence. They chose to deal with the very real struggles and trials and hardships and sufferings of their day by engaging in violence against everyone that they deemed to be on the wrong side, everyone that they decided was their enemy. I think when we're pushed to our limit, when we're backed into a corner, uh, it's a very natural human reaction to lash out. I'm sure you've heard of fight, flight, or freeze. These are just our instinctual reactions to being attacked or to extreme stress. It's pretty clear that the zealots of those three options, the zealots choose fight. And I don't know that I can blame them. Like, the past two years have been pretty stressful and pretty crazy and... um, brought out the worst in a lot of us. There have been moments where um, I have at least, at the very least, thought or said things that I uh, wish I could take back that were um, violent in some way towards other people. 
I also think uh, now being a father of two kids, if, if my kids' lives were on the line every single day, I have no idea what kind of person I would be. And that was the situation for the zealots. Like they were actively being oppressed. They were actively um, facing violence every day. Their families' lives were on the line. It's, it's really easy to understand embracing fighting back. When things feel completely out of control, we, we try to, to bring about order, oftentimes by imposing our will through coercion or domination or force, through violence, just like the zealots. But the birth of Jesus, of, of God incarnate, extends to the zealots and, and to all of us this, this promise of peace. And not the kind of peace that Rome achieved, peace through violence and, and coercion and oppression, but peace through reconciliation. Peace through restoration in order to free everyone, not control everyone. Peace. The birth of Jesus was the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promise for peace. Normally, when we think about peace, we, we usually think about the absence of conflict, the, the cessation of turmoil or tension. No more fighting, no more war. Often we think of war being the opposite of peace. But that's, that's a really limited definition of what this is. Peace isn't merely the cessation of conflict. Peace is a state of well-being. It's a state of wholeness. I think harmony is a much better word for what we're talking about here. Harmony in all of one's relationships. In the Old Testament, peace or shalom was a God-given state of wholeness that, that was a return to original goodness, was a return to how God intended things to be. Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection was uh, inaugurated a reign of peace seen through the reconciliation that he brings between God and humanity. So in this sense, a person at peace is a person who is living um, out of who God created them to be. And that, uh, that kind of reconciliation that Jesus brings between God and humanity restores us to that original goodness before sin, before disorder, before domination, before violence entered the world. All of this makes it possible for us to reconcile with one another Spreading peace. This is what the birth of Jesus started. But 2,000 years later, our world is still not right. Our world is still so very broken. We're still waiting for the full consummation of this ultimate peace. These days, our world, our culture, uh, whether online or in the real world, seems to be much more willing to be violent towards one another. Emotionally, mentally, physically. So what does it mean to be people of peace in a world of violence? What does it mean to be people waiting on God to fully bring about the peace promised through the birth of Jesus 2,000 years ago? We really have two choices, right? <laughs> we can be like Rome, we can be like the Zealots, and we can try to take matters into our own hands and, and force a peace through violence and domination in order to control people to our liking. Or... We can join God to pursue peace through reconciliation and restoration. Uh, peace in order to free everyone to be who God created them to be. The writers of the New Testament talk about peace all over the place. Uh, but one instance that I continually come back to multiple times a year is this passage in Romans 12 where Paul writes this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's righteous justice. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, Paul is quoting from Proverbs here. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you heap burning coals on their head. Now that doesn't sound very peaceful, does it? (laughs) But that phrase, heap burning coals on their head, uh, essentially means here, you're surprising. I think this is Eugene Peterson's uh, translation of this. It means your surprising generosity will awaken their conscience. It's a metaphor. (laughs) Paul concludes by writing, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is what it looks like to be people of peace, to be people waiting for peace. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Bless, don't curse. Laugh with those who laugh. Mourn with those who mourn. Weep with those who weep. As best as you can, live at peace with everyone. Don't seek revenge. Don't take matters into your own hands, but wait for God. Wait for God. Wait for God to bring about the fullness of the peace and the restoration and and the return to original goodness that he promised. Wait for peace. And in the meantime, while you wait, be, be people of peace. Be people of harmony. Be people of reconciliation. Love your enemies. Awaken the conscience of an unconscious and hostile world through your surprising acts of generosity. That's what Paul is writing here. What Rome and what the zealots and what many before and since have thought is that violence can result in peace. That's just not the case. Violence only begets violence. God calls us to be different, to wait on God, to be ministers of reconciliation, to be people of peace waiting for peace. Before Jesus is born, uh, God tells a man named Zachariah, who is Jesus' uncle, um, that Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, is on the way. There's a lot more to this story, but, but Zechariah's response to finding out this news is this beautiful song prayer um, that we read at the end of Luke chapter 1. And I want to close with an excerpt of this prayer because I think it just fits so perfectly. Zechariah says this, Blessed be God who has turned to his people and saved us and set us free. Age after age you proclaimed by the lips of your holy prophets that you would deliver us, calling to mind your solemn covenant. This was the promise you made to rescue us and free us from fear. In your tender compassion, you have sent the morning sun from heaven to shine on us in our darkness, even in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the paths of peace. Even in the shadow of death, Jesus has come to shine light in the darkness and to guide our feet into the paths of peace. So may we follow that light. This Advent, may we relinquish violence and instead cherish reconciliation as we wait for peace. Would you pray with me? God, I think it's a lot easier to talk about waiting for you than actually doing it. At least for me, it's a lot easier to take things into my own hands. 
especially when it has to do with people I love. So God, I pray that you would continue to shape us to be agents of peace in the world. That you would work through us to bring about the peace that you have promised. sounds really Pollyanna-ish to, to think about and to ask for. But ultimately, God, that's what we want. We want a creation in harmony with itself and with you. Thank you for letting us be a part of bringing that about. May we be faithful in that work. We love you, God. Amen.